0: In episode 7.1 of Unshuffled, we discuss the first album from US hard rockers, The Pretty Reckless. But first, here's Seven Planets. Welcome to Unshuffled listeners. Thank you for joining us. I am Matt and I gotta say a big welcome also to my co-host
1: Scotty D. Well hey there. Uh, Happy New Year Matt and to our Happy, listeners.
0: Happy New Year to you and to all of the Unshuffled Army tuning in once again as today we start our journey with a new band and this is a really big shift. We've just finished up with a very heavy thrash metal band, and now we're moving into something much more commercial. So, how have you coped with the shift from Power Trip to our new band, The Pretty Reckless?
1: It, it's a huge difference. Can I go real quickly go back to your Unshuffled Army? I like I like that. Uh, I like that we're militarizing now. <laughs> yes. we're just, it is a revolution. A <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, it, it is absolutely. Uh, a huge difference, isn't it? Mm. Like I felt like yeah, maybe maybe there needed to be, <laughs> right? We needed a little a little taster or something in there in between to, to separate the two. But, but here we are. We did it. We made it through album one. Yeah. So for
0: those unfamiliar with the concept, we are trying to bring back the album. We feel like listening to albums is a bit of a, a lost pastime, a lost art, and we're trying to do it properly. So we pick a band – Um, We put a lot of time into who we choose. And then we start working our way through their studio album catalog. So uh, the new band we've chosen is The Pretty Reckless, which came from, I think, a recommendation from one of your friends. It's been you you put it up a few times and we've finally decided to give them a listen. And our first album, the, the first album we've got to listen to is Light Me Up. Now, before we get into it, and before, as always, you're going to give us the details, but before we get into that, there are a few big differences between this album and the types of music we've been listening to up to this point. Don't you agree?
1: Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. And I'm kind of going to get into that as we sort of go through the songs. But this is definitely – I don't know what the word is. You you know what? Before we had started this, you had mentioned – That I think at the end of the last podcast, you had said something to the effect of that this is probably going to be an album that we can listen to, uh, around our families without any, without any complaints. And, um, and, and I, yes, you're right. This is, this is the first one I think I've been able to play and nobody in my family has, um, has complained. So it's, it's definitely, I, you said commercial. It's not easy listening, but for whatever reason, just the idea that it's easier on the ears for my family members—I uh, I don't know what that means. I'm not sure what to do with that, but definitely,
0: I've had this, this on in the car and um, you know downstairs with uh, all the kids out playing. So yeah, this is not not exactly family friendly, but not offensive to to the ears of non-metalheads. Put it that way. The other big thing and. As we always say, it's something we'll talk more about in detail, but I feel like this is the first time we've had a vocal first band or you're thinking back over the bands we've covered, we've never really had a strong or we've had vocalists that have improved, but we've always had kind of reluctant vocalists in a way. Thinking back, you know, we had Chris Kosnick who got better, certainly got better throughout as the band went on Ghost I mean uh, Tobias Forge I don't think ever wanted he his preference was always to stand up the back playing guitar and, and smoking cigarettes he said he never wanted to be vocalist but he worked on it and he became a very good one Riley Gale yeah he's a vocalist first in fact that's all he does but he's a you know it's a thrash metal vocalist you know it's hardly Mariah Carey I feel like this is the first time we've had the vocalist in the spotlight of the band so that hadn't thought, has been
1: a big change too. I hadn't thought about that at all. And you're absolutely 100% right. I mean this band was built around Taylor Momsen, right? I mean she was already an entity. She was already a known person and this and um this this was built around sort of her and 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 kind of what she had to offer and what she had to say. And so yeah, you're absolutely right. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in that way.
0: Yeah. So just to so because we haven't spoken about vocal vocalists very much I just want to get your sort of broad thoughts on what you like in a vocalist so I'll start by asking you this question who's the better vocalist Eddie Vedder or Chris Cornell
1: Okay see this is funny that you ask this because I'm actually going to in one of the songs I I do I have this in my notes to address this very issue not not the Eddie Vedder Chris oh. Cornell but this issue of what it is I'm looking for in a vocalist Right. And here's what so and I have an answer for this. Early Pearl Jam, I like it when there's a rawness to the vocals. I don't like it when the vocals are clean and and slick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of well I'm like Miles Kennedy, right? The the guy who sings for uh, he Slash, right? He's Slash's singer that guy can sing. There's absolutely no argument as to whether or not he can sing. But there's... He's really good, but there's no rawness to the voice. Right. Um, I feel like both Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell... In their day, had a rawness to their voice. I feel like um, Eddie Vedder, first couple Pearl Jam albums, maybe like the first three or four Pearl Jam albums, his his voice would break right while he was singing, and 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 you could just sort of hear that edge to it. Um, yeah. And Chris Cornell as well. Uh, first again, maybe the first three or four albums. Um, and so that's what I like. I like w- when I'm listening to a singer. I like that edge. I like that rawness. I don't. I don't. I don't like to get the sense that I'm listening to something that's just too slick, right? Too All overproduced.
0: Right. Okay. So Vedder or Cornell? Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, I'll go with <laughs> And so the question, Vedder. I'll go I'll go with Vedder. You chose wisely. That is the correct answer. And that uh, mm-hmm. normally, you know, everyone's got their own music opinion, but I think that one's got a right answer. And <laughs> it comes, to, but it does come down to whether you... What you like in a voice, and that's an important question. So um, that question to me is about timbre or tone versus range, and I and we will talk about those things as we go through uh, the Pretty Reckless's first album, Light Me Up. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I've always been a timbre or or a tone guy. I don't really care how many octaves your voice can cover, but I do want to hear some. Depth in that in those vocal cords, some uh, you know, which is why like Mark Lanigan to me just is the mm. greatest vocalist. I, you know, if I ever want to hear vocals, I've got on Mark Lanigan just to hear those. You know, the, the years of uh, whatever he's been through throughout his life, every every hard day seems to have got into his his voice box somehow, and it, it comes through on the recording. So um, that's what I'm looking for in a vocalist. So I was. Wondering what we're going to hear from a, at first look, you know, sort of um, certainly a young, a female vocalist firstly, so great, looking forward to hearing female vocals, but she was young when they recorded this, and I was wondering what we, you know, just what we're going to hear from a, what, 16, 17-year-old female singer, how, what sort of tone and timbre are you going to get? In a voice was she that, that young? young when
1: they recorded this
0: she was young she was not 18
1: oh is that right because isn't there a song yep. where she sings about being there's like a sock I cannot i didn't write this down i was there's only 19 is, i was i was 19 you one. were 29 or something like that yeah so this is yeah she wasn't yet 19
0: she wasn't 19 when she uh,
1: No, i didn't i guess i didn't realize that
0: mm. uh Anyway, let's get into it. You can uh, give us the details of the the album we're covering today. So let's hear it. All right, here we
1: go. Uh, So this one is, it was released on August 27th of 2010. She, She was signed to, they were signed to Interscope Records, right? So a lot of the other bands that we've covered started on sort of independent labels, right? And we would watch as they would progress to the major label, usually like after the second or third album in this case again because she was a known entity she already had a studio behind her seemingly i mean they're on interscope records it was recorded in two different studios and and i have a question about this that i'm gonna ask you in a second but it was recorded at water music in hoboken new jersey and then house of loud at elmwood park new jersey now there was an ep that came out and we don't we we always kind of skip over the eps we don't really Delve into those, but there was an EP that came out prior to this album. And the EP has, I think it's four songs, and they're all four on the album. And so I'm wondering if they were, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm wondering if that was what happened. Like there was the recording process that happened for the EP, and then that got chopped around. And then the next step was the report recording process that happened for the rest of the album. I don't know the answer to that. But anyway, so there we have Uh, It was recorded in New Jersey. And the credits are Taylor Momsen on on vocals, Ben Phillips on guitar, Jamie Perkins on drums, and then Kato Kandwala on bass. Taylor Momsen, Ben Phillips, Kato Kandwala also did the songwriting, as far as I can tell. And then Mm -hmm. Kato Kandwala was the producer. And then I also want to mention, just because I'm going to talk about him, on cello was Dave Egger, and on violin John Dinklage.
0: Yeah, certainly, Mr. Kandwala had a very big hand in this playing uh, bass. He also added non drum percussion parts, did the programming. So any any of the effects and sort of electronic sounds that you hear from time to time were his and produced. As well. So, yeah, very big role for, for Cato, um, who I think passed away um, a few years ago now, but that'll be something we come to as we move into their later albums. So, yeah, I mean, they are a band, but the star is certainly Taylor Mompson, and, and she is the one who appears in all of the promotional material. She's the known entity, as you described her, the actress from Gossip Girl. She also had a part in uh, the original version of The Grinch. She was Cindy Lou Who in that film. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, the Jim Carrey one.
1: I haven't seen uh, it, but
0: I knew that I knew that. Yeah, and she was she had a, a role in some advertising, some cookie mix brand or something when she was like three or four years old. You know, so she's been in the spotlight her whole life. Gossip Girl, she must have been, what, 15, 16 when she filmed that. So she is very used to being a public figure. Uh, So this this wasn't exactly a leap out into, into the unknown for her in terms of being famous. She was already famous and then decided that this is what she wanted to do. And I think, obviously, her fame... Helped them get a lot of attention in the early days, and that and they, I think they worked that pretty cleverly. They, they knew what they had on their hands. They knew that Taylor Mompson singing rock and roll was going to be something that got a lot of publicity, which is why I think you that they had the backing from the big studio early. They knew this was going to be people were going to be interested in this, and it was going to sell records. They were right. The question: They were right. <laughs> the question that we don't know or we didn't know until we started listening to this was: Is it going to be any good? And that was, you know, the $64,000 question, if you like. So with that, let's get into the track by track, shall we? Let's do it. Do you mind if Um, I have the honors today? No, take it. All right. Let's start with track one called My Medicine. This begins, as you mentioned, as you foreshadowed on the last podcast, with the cigarette being lit to start the song and the inhalation and exhalation of said cigarette now do you can you think of any cigarettes at starts of songs throughout music history the one that came to my mind was rock and roll ain't noise pollution acdc had a similar sound effect in the start but there are others that can
1: you think of any others no there have to be more i can't think of any
0: um now this is a really simple song my medicines a sort of simple rising riff i don't know what those chords are but bling 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 you know There's lots of space on this song and throughout the album for Mobson's vocals. The production stood out to me immediately. Beautiful, clean production. And some double-tracked vocal effects, which give it a really spaced-out and dreamy kind of effect, which is in keeping with the lyrics, I suppose. The this to me is a real statement track you know if you're calling it my medicine it's about someone um who's supposed to be taking some sort of medicine presumably for their mental health and mixing up the prescription and having a a sort of episode you know to state the obvious but that topic in itself is a big statement. Like Cindy Lou Who is gone now. We're not we're not in that space anymore. So I think this was their way of saying, no, this the new Taylor Mobson is here and um just giving us a, a really rocking track. So and, and once all the band joins in, it, it's a really big sound too, a really nice drum sound and some, some nice heavy guitars. So
1: a statement track, I thought. And a single, and a single. Yeah, I mean, you can just hear it. It's just got "single" written on it. Um, I really, I, I, really like her. her vo- I like her voice. There is a rawness to it. I like that uh, she allows it to crack for emphasis. Mm-hmm. This isn't like when I think of a a vanity project. I think of something along the lines of, I don't know. It just it feels. It doesn't feel like a vanity project. It feels there feels like there's a rawness to it. She's allowing her voice to crack. There, the, the imperfections help to drive the song in that sense. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I'm just trying to think of whether or not the imperfections are, you know, sort of s- scripted, but. But at the same time, I, I don't think so. There is this rawness to it. And there, it feels like the, there's a tiredness in the way she's singing and even a slurring, which adds to sort of like a, the authentic, authenticity of of the subject, which is that, you know, here's someone who's had their medicine mixed. Um, and there's this sort of a driving Joan Jett kind of vibe to it. But it, I don't know. And, and then it has sort of the, the clean guitar, but behind the clean guitar especially kind of it comes to the end and there's that dirty sort of slide sound that mm. um i, I just I, I do like the way that all the sounds are kind of mixed together and it does give it that i i guess rawness is going to be my word for this album even though but I, the reason i keep saying the word raw is because it is a very it's not a raw album it's very well produced yeah um but it's it that edge is still there
0: um, now, we will link, you're, you're going to lead, take us into the next track, but before before we do, I think five of the songs on this album have film clips, which we will link to in the show notes. This is one of them. Uh, the film clip to this is very not safe for work, so uh, a warning before you click on that one on your boss's computer. Don't, but the film clip itself, <laughs> the film clip itself is a statement too. I mean, the, you know, the sort of naked bodies writhing on the ground in, in um, you know, a sort of party or indoor setting. So again, the film clip is saying bye-bye, clean cut, um, Cindy Lou who, and, and here's a new rock and roll star on the scene.
1: So the next one is since you're gone. And with this one, I, I like how the bass comes through. Uh, I think the bass does, it drives the song. Um, and he just kind of he in fact, the way that he's like he's playing it or, or the way that it's being mixed or you you can hear him banging on it. But then you still hear like you can hear the strings resonating. Hmm. And I'm getting sort of a with this song, I started to get kind of a and I think I'm going to do this a lot. I'm going to start dropping a lot of comparison band names because uh, that was kind of what I was finding is sort of my, my focal point. And so I already did. Well, that's what we do. That. Right. Now I'm going to go with Velvet Revolver. And what I mean is I feel like these first, so Velvet Revolver kind of had that that vibe to it where um, it was that hard rock style that really hasn't properly, I don't think, hasn't properly been filled since kind of Guns N' Roses handed the reins of Stadium Rock Champion over to Metallica in the mid-90s. Um and this is sort of picking up in that vein and the these first two songs and this song really kind of has that sort of velvet revolver songwriting vibe to it it doesn't have slash's distinct guitar sound but it, it the songwriting feels very much in that style
0: yeah agreed and i do love i agree i love the the big bass that drives this song it's uh, it, it is well recorded and and a big sound from a from a bass guitar the the other instruments do join in in the middle section, but then the bass takes us out again. Uh, I don't have much more to add on the sound. The lyrics are basically, it's, a, it's an I'm glad we broke up song. Now, usually with I'm glad we broke up songs, there's a little bit of irony in it where you think, oh, they're not really glad. But this song, no, I think she's genuinely glad that uh, whoever she's singing about broke up. She seems to have moved on and, and be quite happy about that. Um So yeah, enjoyed it and enjoyed the bass-driven nature of Since You're Gone. The next track is called Make Me Wanna Die, another big single, another soundtrack to this. I think maybe this was the biggest single off the album. First thing that jumps out, Mellotron. We've got Mellotron. We need a little uh, buzzer that goes off when we have (laughs) Mellotron. I love Mellotron and uh, in, in there's a Mellotron in the opening here and it comes back in later in the song. A really dramatic song, this one. You know, we've got the strings and the, the dynamics throughout and it was obviously made with being a single in mind. There's a really commercial sound to it. A little bit of electronic trickery here and there, some effects pedals and, and, and things that add some interest to the song as well. I have heard, and here's some, here's some comparisons. I've heard Garbage. Uh, the band, as a point of comparison for her vocals in particular. And this was the first song where I started to see some, some uh, parallels with Shirley Manson from Garbage. There's a slow string section in this too, which I also really like. Really dramatic, kind of emo-y kind of song, this one. And we get some lyrics, which she, started, she starts channeling uh, Brian Adams in the lyrics, you know, the, uh, the I'd Die For You. Uh, Brian Adams section. Um, there's also some backing vocals, some which, for the first time, is not her. Like it's not her double track, but there's a one of the other band members contributes some backing vocals, which we don't hear much of. Whoever it is um, doing those backing vocals, but uh, I do like that that contrast with the male backing vocal singer with with her singing the lead vocals. So. It really enjoyed the song. Great single, obviously. Um, you know that's what it was destined for, and it, and it
1: works. And uh, the film clip's worth a look too. This song, to me, it felt like this could have been their entry for a, a James Bond theme song. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if this this would have worked for that. Um, I like how it plays with dynamics. It goes for it, kind of goes quiet for that pre-chorus, and then sort of just busts out again into the louder chorus uh, again. I like how the bass and the guitar are separated, you can hear them so clearly. It, so now I'm going to. I think I'm going to say something a little bit different as far as the the the, the backing vocals of, of the guy whoever whoever that fella may be. It's, I uh, just looking at the liner notes. Sorry, it's Ben Phillips. It is Ben the, Phillips. Okay, the so, guitarist. And yeah. this here is the case where I think I like her voice again because this song kind of showcases some of the rawness and the cracking in her voice. Um, which adds sort of it adds a layer uh, a weight of emotion by uh, by allowing that to happen and his voice is too slick Uh. and i feel like his voice coming in sort of even maybe takes away from that a little bit um i that was i it's not you know it it is what it is i just didn't feel that the that sort of mini duet thing that kind of happens there I, i didn't feel it really added to the song um, in the way that the way that her voice was being recorded sort of added an emotional layer. Okay. So that takes us to the next track, light me up. Uh, this is the mm-hmm. title track. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I was really hesitant to make this comparison um, to go down make the it. road of, of, of Alanis Morissette. Cause I don't want to be. Uh,
0: write the same thing.
1: Okay. And um, but this one definitely, this one definitely has an Alanis Morissette feel. The Absolutely. the effect of the guitar, the verse, the cathartic opening of the chorus. Have you seen? I, I'm not going off on a tangent here, but there's a on HBO. There's a music box documentary about Alanis Morissette, and and I had just watched it prior to listening to the song. And so the fact that you made it tells me that's not like I was afraid that I was making that leap because I had just watched this documentary, um, which by the way you should watch it's I, I really never knew much about Alanis Morissette. She's pretty funny. I I had no idea. Uh, But anyway, this song has sort of that, that, that feel to it, that I don't want to say formula, but there was, you know, there, there was sort of that, that formula that kind of drove, especially that first Alanis Morissette album. And this song sort of feels like it fits in, in that vein. Hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely Alanis Morissette. Any song in particular or just just Alanis Morissette generally?
1: Is it, you know what? No, but for whatever reason, is it, I think it's the, is it, I'm I'm conflating. There's the You Live, You Learn song. Yeah. Which one, that's the one swallowed it down like a jagged little pill. That's the You Live, You Learn, right? I think so, yes. Okay, then that's the one. That's the one that I'm,
0: Okay, yeah, that was it. it. was Yeah, one hand. The one where she seems I had one hand in my pocket also sprung to mind for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's... I don't think she'd be offended to have a comparison with one of the biggest and most successful. And, and you know, Alanis Morissette's got a great voice. No,
1: right, and there's no shame in that. I'm just... i, no. I Here I am taking, a, you know, this 19-year-old artist's first album and comparing it to another 19 year old artist well now i don't know if it was her first album but you know what i'm saying well i watched the documentary i know for a fact it wasn't her first album um but i that's the part that i felt it was just too yeah. easy of a connection
0: yeah no i agreed with the connection this is a there is a bit of a formula to this it's a it's that big big chorus the super catchy chorus and and during the chorus you've got the multi-track vocals which it's all just designed to get into your brain and stay there. And it does, after you listen to this, you'll find yourself singing the chorus. You know, it stays with you a little bit. A really strong vocal performance, I thought. Nothing forced or overdone here. When it, she, it would have been easy to to push this too far, but uh, I don't think she did that. I, I feel that right throughout the album. There's never a point where you think she's pushing too much. It all feels like you know she's handling all of the vocal duties quite easily i thought the lyrics on this basically amount to don't judge me which is i guess one of the big messages that she gives out off this album and understandably i think people have judged her um and we'll talk a bit more about that perhaps later on but yeah it's basically a don't judge me song and it and really Commercial and catchy song that reminded us both of Alanis Morissette. The next one, Just Tonight, is another... I mean, it's just big song after big song. This is clearly another one that's designed for radio play, video clip, all of that. Uh, It's a really... It's a bit of a showstopper, this one. Uh, it's It's a single friendly cut. Another huge chorus in this. This one has a strummed acoustic intro. I love the acoustic guitars on this when, when they're there. Really nice sound. The drum kit sounds great again. There's more strings on this in the chorus and, and in the second half of the song. And I'm a sucker for strings. Love my strings. And um, I like the mix of strings and, and rock guitar as well um the outro of this got really some beautiful string beautifully recorded strings in the outro of this it's a, it's a little short perhaps this song it's under three minutes but it's good fun and the film clip i'll mention again even though you know we're listening to the audio but it's a really emo film clip there's blood and and she's dipping the roses in blood and there's candles and things it's you know it's very like one of those 2000s sort of emo bands that I never really listened to. What, what what were they? My Chemical Romance and those sort of bands it was the vibe I got from the film clip and a lot from the song. So I think just in terms of drama and the strings, I think this was my favorite on the album. I really enjoyed this this song. It's a big,
1: big production. We I, I think we have different versions of the album. Um, there's, a, there's a European... Version. I, the only reason is, is because so zombie wasn't the next song. No, I don't zombie have zombie. Come? I don't have it. You don't have zombie at all.
0: No, no zombie.
1: Oh, my track five is a track called zombie. Okay. Which I had what's about. your what's your version? My version is the US version. There was a US version and a UK version. Oh, okay. And it, I, I mean, and and we should have talked about this before we recorded. Yeah, no, I didn't um, realize we had different versions. Wow. <laughs> Uh so, wait, so how many Do you want to talk about, about zombie? I, I can I've mention got... zombie, but how how many tracks do you have? 10. Do you have 11? Oh see, Ten. I have 11. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. All right. All right. Um,
0: talk us through just tonight because I've just spoken about it. Then give us yeah, a little yeah. zombie interlude and then we'll come back and get back on the same page.
1: It's weird that you don't have zombie though, because all right, oh, yeah, yeah. So just tonight. So you know the band, there's this band, um, Imagine Dragons. And and I've seen film footage of this, and and I think the lead singer fella, he has like a, a a big kind of like just a big massive marching band bass drum and he comes out to the front of the stage and he's just banging on this bass drum and I think they have like, I don't know, like glitter stuff flying off it for, you know, whatever effect. And, and it's like it's just kind of this big kind of primal pulsing thing and the audience just goes crazy for it. And this song had that feel to it for me it's got like this big chorus that swells and and i could just imagine her kind of out there with that big bass drum right you know as it kind of moves into the chorus and banging on it and, and and sort of the the live video of the of the people holding up their phones and singing along with their kind of their eyes closed and tears coming out of their eyes and glitter just blasting out of this drum it felt like a huge sort of just massive production number to me on like that you would see, you know, they're going to close shows with maybe. Um, and I agree. I like the, I'm not usually a huge fan. You know what I don't like? I don't like mock string sections. I'm not a fan yeah. of the, the synth string section, right? The one that's sort of that keyboard driven synth. And I, and I, when I first heard this, I kind of thought maybe this was going to be, this was one of those. Um, but we got, we got Dave and John there. And so I think, sure. I think that this is authentic and, and, and I do like it when it's kind of naturally mixed in. And I think this song does do that. Um, I can just briefly with zombie for me, it's track five. And like the one thing I said about it, which is why I think it's weird that you don't have it because one of my notes is I imagine after they recorded this song, they just sat down and said, well, that one's a hit. It just has all the makings of it. Um, does a good job of playing with dynamics. It sort of weaves in and out of the quiet bits with the loud. It's just it. It feels like a monster hit, which mm. is why wouldn't it be on the European version? Got it. Huh. All right. Mm. So now, should I jump into Miss Nothing, or do you want to do that one?
0: Yeah, take us into Miss Nothing. Okay. Uh, just um, before you do that, though, the. The lyric, I've got the lyrics, so I've got the CD version of this with the lyrics printed. Miss Nothing has nothing printed for the lyrics; it just says censored underneath. So there you go, just a bit of trivia. Huh? <laughs> I wonder why that I, is. Yeah, it's, I didn't pick up on any swearing. I think maybe if you if you really listen hard and use your imagination, you could maybe she's mispronounced um misconstrued in a way that uh, sounds like there's a swear word in it but anyway I'd...
1: well it wasn't swearing i was curious like i feel like she plays with where she says i miss nothing i miss everything but then i feel like yeah. sometimes she says i'm like i am miss nothing i miss everything yep. but then other times she says i space miss nothing I space miss everything, and I feel like there's a play on that on whether you know she's identifying who she is versus what she does. Um, yeah. It the song has you know it's got it, it feels very Green Day, doesn't it? Am I wrong there? Yeah, no, it, I, it has sort say. of that that Green Day feel to it. Um, mm. It I it's got nice Christmas bells; those were nice. Uh, I think that this one was a, a hit in the UK, I believe. I don't think this one registered in the U S from what I'd sort of read. Um, it, I, this is not to, when I wrote this, this felt like the right thing to say. Uh, I don't know how to describe it any further, but it feels like what a track seven should feel like it just, it, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a track seven. <laughs> <laughs> this is what a track seven is supposed to sound like.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add on the sound. I, you know, it's bass-driven mainly with the, the guitar used more for stabbing effects. So the bass has a big role on the song and this album generally. The lyrics are very clever. I don't know why it was censored. I, I like the play on words, you know, using that word miss in, uh, you know, it's a sort of clever play on that. And some very, some quite dark lyrics, you know, the chorus, as I watch you disappear into the ground... My one regret is that I never let you down or something like that. Like, that's dark.
1: Mm. And,
0: um, you know, I I think the lyrics in that are good. It's a shame they're not printed for whatever reason. But I like the song. Uh, The next one's called Going Down. Now, where would a rock album be without an ACDC-style double entendre? Although, um, having just spent a week and a half revisiting the ACDC CDs in my collection. They, they actually gave up on the double entendre about, <laughs> about 1980. They, they moved into the single entendre from that point on. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I, that was, I, that, that wasn't an original thought. I read that in a review somewhere, but I think. It, <laughs> what you mean <laughs> mistress for Christmas wasn't a metaphor for something? No. In fact, reading it, that was about Donald Trump. Uh, um, that was written with Donald Trump in mind. So he was making wait, Mistress for all... Christmas" was. Yeah, it was written about Donald Trump. And wait, so there are layers. What are you talking about? <laughs> ah, yeah, that's as deep as it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not exactly an onion. The the ACDC lyric, <laughs> lyrics lyrics. Um, I feel like I'm dumber a, a week and a half after. St- after revisiting my ACDC dc lyrics, my ACDC dc CDs, I, I feel like those lyrics wear you down after a while. Uh, which is why, like the Pretty Reckless in comparison, you know, it's like uh, it's like Wordsworth. Um, <laughs> the the lyrics on this are pretty good, I, I must say, on this on the, the Pretty Reckless album. I, I, I think they're clever and and at times really dark, and this is no exception. Going down you know, despite what you might think reading the title, it's actually a, a, a murder confession. And she's not showing much remorse about having committed the, mor- the murder either. So it really is a dark topic to, to sing about and um, very cleverly done, I, I, I think. So yeah, I, it, it, it's a smarter song than you, than you might think by reading the title. It's another rocker. So I've got two rockers in in a row here. This one's guitar driven rather than bass driven, like the previous one. Catchy chorus and a kind of fun song. I, I enjoyed this. They're, you know, we're at the point in the album where we start to think, hmm, are they going to bury one, bury some filler here somewhere? But uh, I don't get that feeling with this song. I, I think it's a strong,
1: strong enough song. This one I also got at the very beginning, kind of that Alanis Morissette vibe. Um, the opening lines of the song. I don't have much more to add from what you did or from what you said, but it was just, yeah. So as I understand it, she's, she's in confessional, right? I mean, I believe she's mm. actually in confessional telling this story um, yeah. where she either where she killed a guy who was cheating on her. And so she hacked off his bits as I understand it.
0: Yes. Yeah. And she's, uh, and while she's confessing, she's also trying to seduce the priest. She's uh, right. Right. She's right, right. Right. Into. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. That was that was as I understood it. Yeah. Um okay. So the next one is uh Nothing Left to Lose. Th- this song there's sort of a there's a nod to the sort of tragic mythos of being a rock star, right? Mm-hmm. In the song. Um there is sort of that it it picks up that mood of sort of impending tragedy or maybe not even impending maybe just sort of surrounding it takes on there's there are nods to american pie which was the ultimate of the song right which was about the loss of buddy holly and there, in the lyrics you kind of hear some nods to american pie um there are references to to elvis uh i, I want to say there are references to cobain um but i'm not Actually, thinking of what that is right now, but I'm almost positive that's there too. Um, it's not. I mean, it, it is not terribly subtle. It's it's kind of that seems to be is what I got with this song is sort of about. Um, and again, we have the strings. Yeah, it's a sad song. There's
0: a bit of a country and western kind of twang to, to this, and you know, it's you know, sad country music is 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 great. So I got a little bit of a vibe from there. The other band that I um, that came to mind with this one was Oasis and they were covering Oasis songs around the time of this album's release. So if you look back at their set lists, you know, in around 2010, 2011, they they often threw an Oasis cover in. So the song, the obvious one here was Champagne Supernova. And um, yeah, there's some tambourine in the chorus that added to the Oasis vibes. You know, you, you think of, um, Liam. The Gallagher boys, uh, you, you know, tapping away on the tambourine. Liam was um, in
1: today's uh, New York Times crossword. Just oh, really? For any, anybody who's filling that out right now, spoiler like alert. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Um, but, yeah, you can imagine him up the front tapping on his tambourine. Um, I like this song. It's a, it's a nice, sad song. And I, I think the lyrics are not subtle, but still dark and and effective. Now, we also need a buzzer when we feel like we're getting some filler or a lesser track, particularly in the less second half of the album. And I think the next track for that has that role for me, Factory Girl. Uh, I like the way they mix the, the faster and the slower tracks on this album. This is a faster one. Big drum heavy lead into the chorus. It's sort of 80s hair metal vibe to this. You know, there's some, there's some hand claps. Wow, you know, just hand claps. I, I guess that this is designed to to uh, work in a live setting. We've, got, we've also got a double entendre alert here. This one's a little more obvious and a bit too cringy for me, that whole bit about letting you in through the back door. I think it's like, oh, I don't know. Leave that stuff to ACDC. We've drawn a lot of comparisons to different bands. This one, for me, was Transvision Vamp and Wendy James. You know the song "I Want Your Love," and there are some similarities with her voice and Wendy James's that that rough edge to it. Which, again, I'm sure she wouldn't be offended if to hear that comparison being made. So this had an, a a bit of an '80s vibe to it, and and somewhere between
1: hair metal and Transvision Vamp, but not one of my favourites. Here's another one where we, so for me, this is the last track on the album, Factory Girl. Um, so you must be your last track, right? Yes. Okay. So on the US version, those are flipped. And so all my notes about this, well, all my notes, I didn't really actually have much uh, to say about this one, but my notes were along the lines of I do, I like how this sort of bookends the album. Right? They, right. they kind of start with this mid tempo rocker and they finish with this mid tempo rocker and they kind of bring us in and out on the same sort of on that same vibe. And but that wasn't the case with the version you listen to. Um, but I feel like this song, I, as far as calling it filler, um, I feel like this is, is one of those songs that's just if you were to ask the band, it's probably just a lot of fun to play live. And yep. so I imagine this is kind of one of those. This is a song. This is a song for the performances, not necessarily for the album.
0: Yeah, and you could stretch out that hand clappy bit. And you could get the audience involved there, and
1: yeah, of absolutely. course, yeah, yeah. Um, and then so then I guess that leads us to your last track, which is you. uh yes. My track ten. Uh, again, we have the strings here, and it, it, this song. There's a simplicity to this song with the guitar, the violin, the cello, uh, the way that they play together that really works and 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 i like how it works um it's it is it's the uh the the cello player is guy this dave eggers and i'd mentioned him earlier and he it's worth noting played on um s brown's espalding's chamber music society which is really good and he also played on frank ocean's uh channel orange albums so this this the the their cello player He's he's made the rounds. He's a guy. Um, but I I like the song. I do like the song. I like that the simplicity, and I feel like this actually is a better way to end the album than Factory Girl. Um I I I think that this is a much better closer than than Factory Girl was.
0: Yeah, that was my comment that it's a really nice way to finish the album. Mm. Um it is a great showcase for Momson's voice this one. She doesn't yell here and she doesn't yell anywhere in the album. It's almost effortless, which I think is the mark of a of a great vocalist. Um speaking of documentaries, my wife and I watched the one on Nina Simone that's on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. And you know, I, I can recommend that one to you. And if you want to hear effortless like mm. just just pure it's you know just a pure voice where it's never really she never really has to, it seems like she's trying it's just that's just her voice and i, I get that same feeling with with Momsen. so um pretty high praise overall for what we've heard so far particularly taylor momson and um yeah i think that you know i'm getting some pretty positive vibes from your
1: end and and certainly from my end too I think my positive vibes are also that I, I get the sense that <clears throat> like what I'm hearing here is going to get better. And, and this happens. I mean, every time we do this first album from a band, there's the, I mean, there's a reason that we've, we've heard things about these bands. Like we know going into these bands that they're, I guess the only one we really pale gray lore, we weren't terribly sure where that was going. Um, But like, there's the sense that I can definitely see the groundwork for where this is going to get better, right? Where the next couple albums are going to be better than this one, I guess, is my assumption. Mm.
0: Overall, I must say, I was pretty skeptical going into this. And my skepticism wasn't helped when I got the CDs and opened them up and... You know, the I'll hold it up to you, but the the the, I mean, the front cover is not something that is particularly great. We didn't discuss uh, the photographer there. It's Lauren Dukov is the name of photographer who on the cover of this.
1: She's also Uh, a known entity. Like she's done a bunch of stuff for Adele and yeah, just so she's also a known.
0: Yeah, yeah, big a big name in in music photography and and rock and roll in particular. the cover's got a little girl holding up a, a Zippo lighter and then in the centre it's got the back of the girl as she walks up an alleyway. But on the back of the, the CD booklet is a picture of Taylor Momsen. I'll hold it up for you. Wearing fishnet stockings, suspenders and high heels. And I opened it up and I thought, man, what am I getting into? Like, what is this? Um, I don't remember opening... An early Pearl Jam record, and, and getting Eddie Vedder in his in his lounging around in his Calvin Kleins, or, or, and so that was my first thought. It's like, this is unnecessary. Why do we feel? And I thought, is it is she being exploited? Is it you know is this the record label making a dress this way? So my first instinct was to play gatekeeper, I suppose, and to think of all the reasons why we should discount this band from. The image, and then you know, you know, the fact that she'd been in this popular um, drama on on TV, and then uh, other temptations to do that, and plenty of people did. There's a link to an article called "The Pretty Feckless," which was in Decibel about the time this album came out. Basically, just bagging the hell out of the whole image that she's putting forward and the the magazines and things that put pictures of her, you know, dressed provocatively on the front cover. So that was one temptation of Mohan It was to say, we don't need this image. She's good enough to sing without it. Why are they doing this to her? But I, listening to her interviewed, I don't think, I think it's just who she is. And I don't think, it's my right or anyone else is to say you're... And, and a lot of the lyrics you read, she writes it. Like, don't judge me. And I think you have to put that aside. Whatever your thoughts are, you have to put it aside and just focus on the music. And there's other things that popped into my head that, that where I was tempted to say, no, it's not worthy of, of... for whatever reason. Like, one of the thoughts I had was, what can a 17-year-old girl... You know what experiences she had that she's going to share with her audience. How are these lyrics going to mean something? But then I've just spent a week and a half listening to ACDC. What did they ever say? What did? Why do you have to say something meaningful? I think there's there is some meaning in these lyrics, even at such a young age. I think she wrote them, or at least, you know. So she's already got things to say. And I guess growing up in the spotlight gives you that. You you tend to get judged, and you and you. You know, you react to that, and um, so you have to put all of that aside. There was the other thing was the commercial sort of nature of some of the songs. And again, I'm not averse to listening to stuff that sounds good and, and works in a commercial setting. And you know, I can happily listen to the radio and say, "Yeah, great song, great song." And we spoke about some commercial, compare commercial, commercial artists uh, as comparison, and, and I don't think the band loses anything for trying to sell some records. So, you know, I I don't have a problem with that. So I think part of the challenge for me as a listener was to put all those preconceptions aside and just focus on the music. And when I was able to do that and it forced me to to do it, uh, I was able to say, yeah, I enjoyed this. It sounded great. I love her voice. She's very much the star of the band. And one of the things I really liked about the band was the fact that the other artists know that she's the star and it's they are very good at giving her the spotlight giving her a musical platform in which her voice can really shine and at the end of the day taylor Momsen is the star of this band and her voice is great and uh
1: for that reason i enjoyed it there so there's a lot to unravel there um yeah <clears throat> so with regards to to taylor Momsen, with regards to the pretty reckless with regards to album covers uh, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I don't know who, who's, I, I assume that the, the puppet master behind all of this is Taylor Momsen. That's, that's my, uh, that's, I'm operating under that assumption. If that's the case, then I, I'm of the, yeah, I, you do you what, whatever you want you do go ahead. It's your it's your thing uh, run with it. If I'm if I'm interested, I'll follow you. If I'm not, I'll go somewhere else. Um, I hope that's my hope. I hope there's not some sort of Svengali behind all of this that we're going to, you know, we're going to find out in 10 years time is, you know, for whatever reason. I, I'm my, I'm operating under the assumption that this is this is Taylor Momsen is, is driving the bus here. Because the, the, what you just showed me that for as far as I can tell is the most clothing that she wears on an album cover, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which again, if, 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 if this is her bus that she's driving, then do it, go, do what you got to do. If there is some, and see, this is where it's because if there is some sort of like sleazy, older Svengali behind the, the scenes, who's, who's pushing this, well then it doesn't feel as okay. But I, I don't know that to be the case I assume this is her so okay so walking from that uh, the other thing about the band this this came up in the Alanis Morissette uh, documentary where she had talked about there was all of a sudden as they were touring there became a bit of a power struggle where somebody I shouldn't say doesn't name names but a couple other people in the band started to kind of want to run with their ideas and their projects and she kind of had to pull everybody aside and say look you're touring with Alanis Morissette that's the name on the album. So, yeah. right. And, and it makes complete sense. And I think you're absolutely right. I think by the fact that like Ben Phillips, who I, I think we're going to go on to see that he plays on every album. Um, there's clearly not that uh, power struggle, which I think hmm. will make it work. Okay. With those
0: thoughts mm. behind us, let's get into the band, Brandlo. the The part that all of the unshuffled army wait for, impatiently every episode so (laughs) let's get into it i'm guessing our three votes are going to be pretty clear cut on this but let's find out you you give us your for yours so this is the best performance on the album the best performer on the album gets three votes second best gets two votes and third best gets one vote so give it to us from the one vote up
1: i i wasn't entirely sure how to go about this I'm not really sure who's I, I know who's doing what but I'm not sure who to credit for what I wanted to give Dave Egger the the cello I wanted to get him in there but I, I can't realistically see how to work him in so I'm gonna give my one vote to um, I'll give it to Ben Phillips guitars uh, backing vocals mm-hmm. well well done Ben um, my my two votes will go then to Cato Kanwala, right uh, not necessarily I mean well done on the bass, but more yeah. as his role as producer. And then my three votes, of course, I think. I don't know how to give them to anybody other than Taylor Momsen.
0: Yeah, Taylor Momsen gets three. And I'm suspecting that's going to be a pretty common as we move through the albums, but we'll find out. Kato, uh, two for me as well, for sort of being Mr. Everything bass player, and there's a lot of very bass-driven songs. Uh, he contributes some percussion, programming, producing, so... Um, you know, as much as it's Taylor Momsen's album, he also does the string arrangements as much as it's Taylor Momsen's album as the star it's, you know, he's a real creative driver and a major contributor to the sounds that you hear, which leaves one. So it's either going to be the guitarist or the drummer. Uh, I'm going to give it to the drummer as much for the sound of the drums as, you know, he's not playing anything, you know, he's not uh, Mario Mario Plantier here, but, uh, you know, the drums are effective and they sound great. So the drum tech, John Kohan plays a big role in, in the sound of the drums. And, um, yeah, I think they're just very effective and some nice little symbol details here and there, some nice hi-hat work. So
1: well done. Uh, well done band and well done Taylor. Wait, real quick, hold up. So you're, you're giving the, the one vote to Jamie Perkins, right? Not the drum technician.
0: Yeah, no the 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 player of the drums okay. is right, Jamie right, Perkins. All right. He gets the one vote, not the technician, as much as got the it, technician played a pretty big role.
1: I, you know, I, I'm just realizing now that I I was under the impression that Jamie Perkins, we were just going to see him in, on this one album, and then and then he was going to be gone. But he's not. Uh, ben Phillips and Jamie Perkins, they're they're there for throughout. Yeah, I don't know. I just had this revel- revelation right now.
0: Well, you think you're a these the band, the other band members are much older than her. I think they're in this sort of late twenties or or even older, and I imagine they've been doing the rounds and and battling away trying to get a break, and then all of a sudden this this sort of household name star with this incredible voice just lands, um, you know, among them, and and of course you're going to go along for the ride. I I, I can't imagine we're going to have any. Ghost like or Alanis Morissette like rebellions, as you said. So, um, I think these guys are pretty happy to let her have the spotlight and just to, to go along for the ride. They're, they're excellent musicians all the same.
1: Yeah, no, agreed. I agree. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So, we're expecting further growth, more of the same, but, um, you know, further musical growth on the next album. Um, but we'll find out. Uh, the next one is, which one's the next one? I don't know which order they go.
1: The next one is Going to Hell.
0: Going to Hell. So, yeah, you got any major expectations? You're looking forward to it?
1: There's, I mean, there's four years between Light Me Up and Going to Hell. And so in the band member, the band, it looks like, so we're going to get a guy by the name of Mark Damon is going to join the band in 2010. So it must be when they went out to tour, they put that band together and that that band that learned to tour and play together for four years is the one that goes in and records the studio the album so i'm definitely uh i'm definitely curious to hear like i think i think we're going to hear some improvement kind of in in, in what's being done okay
0: right, good oh something to look forward to thank you uh i hope you enjoyed our thoughts listener i hope you enjoyed uh, you know uh, Whether you agree with them or not, you can let us know. There's various ways to contact us. We have a website, of course, unshuffledpod.com, which has all the past episodes, and we'll pop our show notes to this episode up sooner or later. Sometimes it takes me a few days, but uh, it'll be there eventually. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, at unshuffledpod, where we, as well as retweeting our own stuff, we link to a lot of album-related articles that pop up from time to time and um, yeah, you can email us to unshuffledpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and I check it very, very regularly, Um, (laughs) which reminds me, I better add that to my to-do list. Uh, I'll go and have a look. Uh, Thank yous. Well, thank you to Small Stone and Seven Planets, the great song that you hear in the intro and outro is called Vanguard. It's off their album Explorer, which you can find on the Small Stone Bandcamp page. You can download it in lossless glory. You know, they get the flex there on uh, Bandcamp and, and get some nice high-fidelity, fuzzed-up stoner rock. Well, well worth downloading and, um, you know, give it a listen. And thank you, as always, to you, Scott. I enjoyed hearing your thoughts. And, yeah, it sounds like we're on the same page on this one.
1: Seems like it. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, listener.